and I was, uh, last night I was, I was trying to decide which, which Bible I was going to use to preach out of, and I have a lot of them, and this Bible Dale gave to me over 10 years ago, and he gave me, he gave me two Bibles at the time, he gave me a study Bible, and, he's, and he gave me this Bible, and he says, here, I'm giving you this one for study, and this one for preaching. Well, I'm not a preacher, so, and I was thinking about that last night, and, uh, I was just really thankful for this church, and I was thankful for Dale, because Dale, he never gives up on people, and I've noticed that about him. I know times in the past, in my, in my ignorance, I've said stuff like, oh, that person, there's no, they're just never going to change. And Dale, he'll, he'll look at me and say, so you don't, you don't believe the gospel at all? It's like... <laughs> and that's con- you know, convicting. And I'm thankful that Dale didn't give up on people, because he didn't give up on me. Um, and he doesn't give up on people because, because the, God doesn't give up on people. And Dale believes God's word. And it's been a crazy 10 years since he's given me this Bible. And there's been a lot of times in those 10 years where he should have given up on me. And, you know, a lot of you know me. I have family here. And some of you know how bad of a sinner I am. And some of the foolish things I've done in the past 10 years. But I'm, I'm standing here. A sinner, you know, saved by Christ, trusting in him as uh, my rock and my redeemer. And as we go into this psalm, David ends on that. He's hoping in his, in Christ as his rock and his redeemer. So, uh, in preparing for this sermon, I was reading uh, through a book from C.S. Lewis, Reflections on the Psalms. I recommend that book. And... He's got a whole chapter uh, devoted to the 19th Psalm. And so that was helpful for me in my preparation. And there, there was a quote in that chapter that says, he says, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter, one of the greatest lyrics in the world. C.S. Lewis was uh, an amazing uh, literary scholar. So, so it's a big, I feel like that's a big endorsement for him. And so I hope I can do this psalm justice as I'm, as I'm preaching through it. One of the beauties in the psalm and one of the beauties I think that C.S. Lewis noticed is the way it's structured and its use of Hebrew parallelism. And we'll go into that a little bit. And when, when surveying the psalm, you, it, it's divided into three distinct parts. So the first, the first six verses are about God's glory in creation, God revealing himself to humanity through creation. And the second part, verses 7 through 11, is God revealing himself to us through his word. And then in the, in, the, in the third part, verses 12 through 14, we see David's response to, to seeing the glory of God in creation and seeing, and seeing his, his revealed character and glory in the word. <clears throat> so we, in the beginning, we have this subheading, a psalm of David to the choir master. This psalm is, a, a, is somewhat unique because there's not, there wasn't any big event that occurred that sparked the writing of the psalm. There wasn't a big battle won or some victory or some, some turmoil that was going on that, that, that sparked the writing of the psalm. Like Psalm 18 that Dale preached last week was a, was a response like that. But this psalm was just written as, it was written for just praise and worship of, of God in, in, in creation and in his word. And you can see that a lot in the structure. 
And this would have been used, you know, in the temple uh, as, as the people gathered together to worship. They would have sang this song. And, so, and something else, as, as, I'm, as I'm meditating on this verse, I think about Christ Jesus when he was, when he was on this earth. He would, have, he would have sang the song in synagogue. He would have, he would have maybe been in, at, in synagogue with his family as a child singing this psalm and, and worshiping his father. And I think it's so amazing that we can, we can sing this song this morning and study this psalm, and, it's, and, and, and Jesus also would have sang this same song. So we're going we're gonna to read this psalm together as a, as a church, like we do. So the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression." Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. My rock and my redeemer. So starting in verse 1, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day it pours out speech. Every day... God is pouring out speech and communicating to us his glory through what is made, through creation. And, and this, this language of pouring out makes me think of a, uh, a geyser or, or a fire hydrant. Um, just this, this, this pouring out of, of speech that, that just can't be missed. And I was, I have a, few, a couple lots in a subdivision, and not too long ago, I, I was, they needed mowed, they were grown up, so I had my tractor and my, uh, my, my bush hog, I began mowing, everything's going great, until I hit a city water line, and uh, there's a lot of pressure on those city water lines, so this, I have water shooting up in the air, just higher than any of the rooftops in the subdivision, and you couldn't miss this, and of course the neighbors came, and what's going on? Because it's so obvious. And so I had to call the city to come, come fix it. And that's something I think about. 
And the rest of that story is I had two lots in that subdivision. So as the city's fixing the water here, I went and mowed the other one, being so careful. And I hit that water line too. I had two geysers. But the city was already there, so, you know, I didn't have to call them a second time. But, but my point in this illustration is you can't, you, you couldn't miss this. You can see it. It's, it's, it's shooting up in the air. It's pouring forth. And, and I think that's the language that David's using here, that creation every day, it's, it's, it's pouring forth the speech. It's pouring, it's, it's, it's the knowledge of God and the glory of God in creation. And even, even, even in small things, you see God's glory revealed. I love watching nature documentaries, especially when the nature documentaries, when they're made by a, by a creationist and, and he's trying to show you God's design in creation. And I was watching one about this little spider. It seems so insignificant. But this spider, it lives its whole life underwater, but it, but it breathes oxygen. So it, it spends time underwater. It eats, it lives off feeding on things in the water but it has to breathe oxygen, so it spins this silk, like this air chamber that's underwater, and it uses it like an underwater lung, and to replenish the oxygen, he goes up when he needs to, and, he, and he's able to grab these air bubbles and bring it back and put it in that chamber. So he, he lives in this, like this little air house underwater. And so you think, I see things like that, and I think, this is just God showing off. This doesn't make sense. How does this spider do this? How does he have the, the knowledge and, and the understanding to do this, but he's was, he was created by such a wise uh, designer. And I, I think of, when referring to the sky, you know, I think of birds and just the, the, the way they're able to fly and then that design. I think we see the glory of God in that. The, and again, in one of these nature documentaries, I was, they were talking about these birds that migrate to certain islands, so they're flying over the oceans, and it's amazing that they migrate at all, that they know to migrate, that they know where to go. How do they know where to go? How do they know that they're supposed to migrate? But they seem to know where they're going because it's programmed in them. But these birds, they can't actually make the flight across the ocean. There's, it's too great of a distance. They can't eat enough calories to make the flight. So they do eat as much as they can, but they have to fly. So what they do, they fly in formation. So they take turns where they are in formation, at the front. Then the guy, the bird that's the front, he comes back around, and it cuts down on air draft, so they're able to save energy so that they can make this flight. And birds aren't very smart. How, how does a bird know how to do something so, so intelligent like this? And it's because of God's wisdom in designing them. And I... I love hummingbirds, so I want to mention them. So hummingbirds flap their wings 70 times per second, which doesn't even make sense to me. And then I, I had to Google it. This, is this true? Yes. Up to 70 times per second with a heartbeat of over 1,200 beats per minute. And when I, so when I see things like this, it, it, it drives me to worship because, because God created all of this. But David here... He's not talking about spiders or, or hummingbirds. He, he, he points us to the heavens. And I, th I think the reason why he does that is because, so hummingbirds, they're native to the west. He probably would have never seen a hummingbird. And he probably didn't know about this weird spider. 
But David points us to the heavens because the heavens are something that's universal. Everybody, everywhere on the planet sees the heavens and they hear and see God's glory displayed through them. It says in verses 3 and 4, There is no speech, nor their words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. God's pouring forth of his glory and knowledge. It occurs every day, and everyone sees it. Everyone can see the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's a universal language. So even though there's no literal speech, yet they speak this language that everybody can understand. And, and no one has ever lived that has not, that has not heard it, even in the most remote village. Moving on, David focuses on the sun. He says he's set a tent in the sky for the sun. And when David's talking to the sun, he's, he's not speaking scientifically, he's speaking, he's speaking poetically. You know, in our solar system, there's no greater display, I think, of God's glory than in the sun because of all the energy and power that is in the sun. And David probably didn't know this, but now we know the sun is over a million times larger than the earth. And you think of the energy and the power that the sun puts, that, puts, puts out. And yet this, is, this was spoken to God with a word. He just said, let there be light. And there was light. And that shows how powerful our God is. He uses this, this picture of a, of a bridegroom leaving his chamber, of a, of a strong man running his course with joy. And when, when I see this, 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 this bridegroom, what's he mean by bridegroom? You know, I think about my wedding day, and I, I had my tuxedo on, nicest clothes I ever wore, probably the nicest clothes I'll ever wear. So, and, and it, was the, it was one of the best days of my life. I think he's, he's referring to the splendor and the joy in which the sun displays and the sun serves God. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's what he's saying here. And like I remember on my wedding day, in, in my splendor of my best tuxedo, and, and I remember, you know, Kristen walking down the aisle, and I remember the, just the joy that, that filled me. And, and the strong man, this is referring to an athlete or a, or a warrior that, that's running its, running its course with joy. He's trained his whole life for this, and he, he's running with, with everything that he has. And this, this is the, the, the picture that we see of the sun. The sun is like God's preacher in the sky. It runs its course every day. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Everybody has felt the sun on their skin. And yet the sun is not eternal. The sun was created. And the sun is not all-powerful. But God is uncreated and omnipotent. And the sun just testifies to the glory of God. So, so you might ask, if, if creation, if, if the glory and majesty and wisdom of God is so clear in creation, 
why doesn't everybody believe in God? Why is not everybody Christians? Why, why, is there, why are those that, that deny his existence? Paul, Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all, in all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So, so why do some deny the existence of God? It's because they, they suppress the truth, because it's been made clear to them, and it's made clear to them every single day through what has been made. <laughs> so Paul tells us that God's omnipotence, his power can be clearly seen, and that we are without excuse. We're without excuse. So in these first six verses, I really want you to see how the glory of God is proclaimed universally to all people every single day. I want you, when you see a sunrise, when you go outside, when you leave here, and you feel the sun on your skin, I want you to praise God and think of God's glory and his power that he could even create, that he could create the sun with a word. And be amazed that a God so powerful, unfathomably powerful, and yet he even cares to give us this message he wants to be known by us. He wants us to know him. And he's shown us this in the heavens. He's revealed his power and glory in the heavens. And he has shown us this in his word, his, his written word in, in, in the Bible. He's given us this so that we can know him. And, and then David, so David shifts there and he goes into praising God's word. And if you notice, in the first six verses, David, in referring to God, uses the general name for God. He says God, which in the Hebrew that would have been El, E-L, general name for God. But in, starting in verse 7, he refers to God as the Lord. And, and it, when you see that all caps in your Bible, this, this word comes from Yahweh. This is the, the personal name for God, the covenantal name for God given to Israel. And I, I think David's trying to show us that, yes, we can know that there is a God in creation. We can know about his power and his glory, but we can't really know him personally without his word. And I, and I think David, in, in using this change name, is showing us that through his word, we can really know him personally. And we can have a relationship with him. And in these verses, I spoke of that, about that Hebrew parallelism that, that, is, that is throughout. And I've, I had to really, this was a struggle for me because I, I don't know Hebrew. But I have, I have taken some classes by some guys that know Hebrew. And he was talking about this Hebrew parallelism. And, but it's, it's, it's what makes, it, I want to talk about it because it's what makes it this so beautiful. The way that the structure is. And you can see that parallelism. You can actually see it in the first two verses of this psalm, you can see the heavens declare 
the sky proclaims. Heaven's sky Pretty much the same thing. What you see when you look up, the heavens, the sky, declare, proclaim, it's pretty, pretty much the same thing. And then he's focusing on the attributes of God, the glory of God, and his handiwork. So these attributes of God. And it's, just, it's putting this emphasis on what he's, what he's trying to communicate. And then in these verses, in 7 through 11, he's trying to put emphasis on the value of the word of God. You could actually, so you, you could break these down into columns with six different points in each column. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. He refers to God's word as law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear of the Lord, and the rules. Then he says that God's word is perfect. It is sure. It is right. It is pure. It is clean. It is true. It is And then in that third column, it revives the soul, it makes wise the simple, it rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes, endures forever. It's altogether righteous. And this was this part was the I was struggling with this so much in preparing a sermon because I see David and he's 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 so beautifully trying to communicate God's glory in his word and how amazing it is that God has given us his word and the value of his word is so difficult for me to, commu- to, to just stress that here. But this, this word, this word is perfect and it's, it's, it's sufficient. David says that it is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. This word of God should be our greatest treasure and our greatest pleasure in life. It should be, you should be more, cons- you, you should love the word of God more than you love anything. It should be your greatest treasure because it is revealing God to us so we can have a relationship with God and God should be our greatest pleasure and our greatest treasure. And I, I want to ask you today, do you, when you read this, do you think, yes, yes, I value, I value this word more than gold. I value it more than honey. You may not like honey, so people don't like honey. Uh, but this was written in a time when su- there wasn't an abundance of sweets. So you may think of your, uh, the finest cuisine or something that gives you the greatest, the greatest pleasure. The, the other night, Kristen was watching the Food Network, and uh, they have all this delicious-looking food, and I was hungry. I was like, man, I wish I could tr- just have a taste of that. But... God's word should be sweeter to us and, and more, more satisfying than, than the finest pleasures, the finest foods, and, and more valuable to us than our riches. Maybe consider uh, your, your stock portfolio. Do you check this more than you read God's word? Are you, are you placing your hope in your retirement account or your bank account more than you're putting your hope in God's word? Because those riches can not save you. 
and just looking at your life, what, what, is, what, is, your, what is your focus on? What, what does it look like you treasure the most? When, when, when pleasure is it, do you, you just like your time, your, your, your smartphone? That's a, that's a tough one. Um, or silly games or TV shows. Does the, is the Word of God your treasure? And if this is our greatest treasure and our greatest pleasure, this is something that we're going to share with other people. It's going to be important to our life. We're going to share it with everybody that we can. We're going to share it with our family, our parents, our children. And I want to talk a little bit about just sharing it with our children because I have two girls and I just, I just want the best for them. So I think about you know leaving them an inheritance. I think about their education. I think about them, them being, being well off. I, I want them to marry a good man. Uh, I want them to be happy. But the greatest inheritance that we can give our children is God's Word. And, and leaving this to them, His Word and, and our faith. I, I want to I read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. We should value God's word this much, and we should we should share it with your children with our children. Ephesians uh, chapter six verse four says, "Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." So we're commanded we're commanded to share this with our children. And in this psalm, something that speaks a lot to me is um, how I how I try to share God's word with Elena and Abigail. Elena's three, and Abigail's two. And when they're, when they're younger, it's hard to share God's word with them. They don't, they don't understand it as much. They don't understand John 3.16. But even when they're one year old, you can show them God's glory in creation. And I, I've done this with them since they were little. I have a video of Elena. She was one year old. And we would always go out at night. Every, it's our routine. We still do this. We go out at night and we look at the stars and we pray every night. And it used to be somewhat of a discipline thing, and, but now it's, it's like they're, they're looking forward to it every night. Daddy, when are we going to go outside and pray and look at the stars? And it's, it's, it's an act of worship for us. When Elena was one, I would, I would talk to her, and I'd, you see these stars, baby? God made these stars. You see the moon, how beautiful it is? God made that. He hung it in the sky on nothing. And, and Elena, I would ask her, I'd say, who made the stars? She'd say, Jesus made the stars. Who, 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 who made the moon? Jesus made the moon. And who, who hung them in the sky? Jesus hung them in the sky. And, and that sounds easy when I'm saying it. It's not always easy because kids are silly. So sometimes I'll ask her, and I remember one time she, she would say, Mickey. And I crushed that. 
crush that idol. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And we don't, she doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> so do you, share, do you share this with your children? Do you, do you value God's word enough? Do you value him enough to share it with your children? Is this important to you? Just, I want you to just think about that. And there's little, there's little things you can do with your kids because since they're, since they're young, you can't sit them down and have like a 30-minute long Bible study. So throughout, throughout the day, I'll, 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 I'll try to share God's word with them. So Elena, she might fall down and get hurt. She scraped her knee or whatever. I'll pick her up and I'll comfort her. And then I set her down and she's got tears in her eyes and I'll, I'll, I'll wipe the tears from her eyes. I'll say, baby, do you know that God's word tells us that one day Jesus will wipe all of our tears out of our eyes. There's Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So I can point her to this time when Christ has victory on earth, when there's no pain, there's no tears, there's no sadness, there's no more hurt. And I can use that through that example of her scraping her knee. And she, under, she understands it. Or in, in preparation for this verse, I wanted, I'm like, how can I share this with my kids as I'm preparing? So I, I'm focusing on this. More to be desired today than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. So the girls, uh, we, I, we'll have honey with breakfast. Put it on their waffle, or at night we'll make some toast and put honey on the toast. And uh, Elena, I'll ask her, baby, what is sweeter than honey? She the word of God is sweeter than honey. And she's got it memorized. And, and she makes that connection between the honey and that sweetness of that honey to God's word and that sweetness of God's word. And, 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 and Abigail's learning it too. So the other night I was, I was very discouraged. And, and, and I, I was in my bedroom and, and Abby runs in all excited. And she just, daddy, daddy. Word of God is sweeter than honey. And she just kept saying it. The word of God is sweeter than honey. The word of God is sweeter than honey. So I didn't even know you could say, say this. And I think I just, and I, and I felt so, uh, God comforted me in that. The word of God does not return void. Uh, Abby was preaching to me that day. And I'm so thankful for that. So, So I do, I want you to share this with your children, and I want you to just think about where it places on, in your life, and I want the Word of God to be, um, have that prominent role, that, that sweeter than honey, greater than riches. And I, and I want to make sure that I don't, when, when I was studying this psalm, I couldn't help but notice Christ throughout the whole psalm. You know, so we have this, this book, these two books that God reveals himself. We have uh, God revealing himself in creation, God revealing himself in his word. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, to whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this, 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 this is God's word, and God speaks to us through creation. But God, he, he, does, he wants to communicate him so much, he sent his son. He spoke to us through his son. We have his words written in this book, and all these words are God's words. And when, when I was reading about the, the son, S-U-N, in, in the first part of this, I, could, I couldn't help but notice these. He comes out like a bridegroom. You have that image of Christ as the bridegroom of the church. He is our, he is our bridegroom. We are his bride. And he's, he's coming in that same, that same radiance and glory. And he has set a tent for the sun in the sky, and I think, of, I think of Christ ascending to the Father in heaven. And he is that great warrior that will destroy all of his enemies and save his people. And just as nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun, the glory of God will fill the earth. Just like Revelation um, Revelation 21, 23, it says, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That Lamb is Christ. Uh, Revelation 22, 5 says, And night will be no more. There will be no light of lamp or sun. The Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So as much as the sun was praised here, Christ the Son of God is so much greater than the Son. And the Son's, the Son, S-U-N, is not eternal, but the Son of God is eternal. Even in uh, Malachi 4, 2, it says, uh, he refers to Christ as the S-U-N, Son of Righteousness, with healings in, in its wings, referring to Christ coming back for his church and having victory. I just want to make sure that I, that I communicated how, how Christ is just all throughout this, this psalm. And David, so next we're going to see David's response to this revelation of God in creation, revelation of God in his word. He says, who can discern his error? When I, when I read that, I just think David, he, he's, his, his response is this humility before God, He's, he's being humbled by God's word. Who can discern his errors? Because our sins are so great. We, we can't even understand. We can't even understand them all. And he says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Again, I see, I see Christ in this verse because there's only one man that's ever lived that could be declared innocent from hidden faults, and that is Christ. And yet David is crying out to God for that, declare me innocent. Because he, he, he sees his brokenness before God when viewing the law. He knows he needs, he needs this forgiveness. So he's crying out to God. And I want to go back to verse 7, which says the law is perfect, can, reviving the soul. Some, 
so many translations, uh, that word reviving, some, some say restore, some say uh, transforming, some says, uh, the King James says converting the soul, and I like, I like that rendering of it. There's this idea that the Word of God, it transforms our life. It, it takes us from this place of brokenness and spiritual death, and it makes us alive. It, it revives us and makes us alive. But the law, when we, when we talk about the, God's law, oftentimes we're thinking in terms of something we're freed from, right? Because we're freed from the law, but the law isn't the problem. The law is good. I have a verse about the law, if I can find it. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the problem isn't the law. The law is good. Everything written in the law is right and true. It is pure. It is clean. It is undefiled. God's word is without errors. And it's, it's exactly what we need in our life. But it's perfect, but we are not perfect. We are sinful. And when you look at God's law, you could just survey the Ten Commandments. The, starting with, you shall not murder. Uh, you shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet. And you see, you see the law in your life, and it brings you to, it, it should make you cry out to your Redeemer. And I think about when this happened, I want you to think about, if you are a believer, think about when you were first convicted of your sin, when the law first convicted you of sin. And, and, and if you are an unbeliever, have you looked at God's law? Have you seen its, its perfect standard that you're failing to meet? For me, when I first started reading the Scriptures, I started in Matthew. I didn't know the gospel. I, no one had told me the gospel. But I start reading through. I get to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus is using, he's expounding on God's law. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to not abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. And I get into 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will, will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, I was reading that when I was a teenager. And that filled me with terror. It's like, so it's not just murder. But have I, have I been angry at somebody in my heart? Have I, have I shown this hatred towards someone? And, and moving on into verse 27 and 30, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye calls you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than 
that your whole body will be thrown into hell. And if your right hand calls you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. And I read this as a teenager, not knowing the gospel, not knowing what Christ had done for me on the cross, and I was so filled with terror. Because I'm a teenager, so I'm definitely lusting. I hadn't committed adultery, but I'm guilty. I was guilty of adultery. I was guilty of murder. And you think if you don't know Christ, and you see the law, the law is like just like the sun, nothing is hidden from its light. The law is like that on our hearts. You think of a dusty room, it might not look dusty. If you open the window and the light shines in, it's full of dust and it's filthy. And that is your heart, and the law reveals that in your heart. It reveals the filthiness and sinfulness in your heart. And it should, it should drive us to the feet of the Savior. It should drive us to Christ because we need Him, because there's no hope without Him. David, he refers to presumptuous sins and hidden sins. Christ was innocent of both. He was pure in his heart. He was pure in his actions. Christ never sinned. But we know that we have. And I often think of the parable of the, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke. Anyway, the Pharisee was standing in the temple to pray. He had a lot of pride in the law of God. He had used the law of God to justify himself and his self-righteousness. He says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. That I'm not a sinner like this tax collector here. I tithe, I do all these things. He felt like he was really good with the presumptuous sins, but he didn't see the hidden faults. And David sees that, but the tax collector, he just, he was down before God. He wouldn't even look up, he just beat on his breast, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And that should be, that should be how the law affects us. We shouldn't be like that proud Pharisee, but we should be like that tax collector because we see our sinfulness. And that's why the word of God is sweeter than honey because it saves us. It's exactly what we need and it's our only hope. David cries out to, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I was ta- the, David referred to my rock Several times in chapter 18, I was just meditating on that, and I talked to Chuck. I had lunch with him this past week. I said, what do you think about when you, see, when you see rock? Chuck said, I just think of this big boulder. It's just unmovable and shakable. It's not going anywhere. It's not like some pebble that's going to be tossed away. And I told him, because me being a builder, I think in terms of building, I was telling him, I, I think of a foundation, just an immovable, unshakable foundation. That foundation is Christ. He is our rock. He is our redeemer. And if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you will be unshakable. And if you're, I, I plead with you if, you, if you know Christ, I want you to think about when God convicted you of sin and the law of God revealed that into you. And I want you to just, just think of God's goodness and his grace and mercy in your life and, and just when you sing Amazing Grace, really feel how amazing that grace is. And, and if, you, if you don't know Christ, I hope that you see the wickedness of your heart as revealed through the law. 
that you are an adulterer at heart, you're even a murderer standing before God. This verse, declare me innocent. How can, how can God declare a guilty man, a murderer, innocent? What is your hope? The only innocent man was Christ. And Christ lived. He lived perfectly. Before God, he kept his law. And on the cross, this is called the great exchange. On the cross, when Christ was crucified, our sins, all of our sins were laid on him. And the wrath of God was poured out on Christ. And he absorbed the wrath of God for us. The punishment that we deserved because of our sins, Christ absorbed it. Because, and that's, that's how much Christ loves us. And his righteousness was placed on us. Christ's righteousness was placed on us. And then we can truly say, declare me innocent. Because, not because of my goodness, but because Christ, because I'm clothed with him, because I'm trusting in the cross. So I just tell you, I plead with you that if you don't know Christ, run to him and, and trust in, 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 in him, that rock and that redeemer. And uh, I'm going to, I'll close there and we'll, we'll pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for creation. I thank, I thank you that we can see your glory and majesty and eloquence in the heavens. I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. I thank you that you're a personal God, that you're not far and distant. You're not some absentee father. But you have, you, you want to know us. You want to have a relationship with us. You love us so much. And that's why you plead with us to come to Christ so that we can be in relationship with you. And you've revealed this through your word. Let this word, Lord, be sweeter than honey to us. Let it be our, our more valuable to us than any of our riches or anything we have in this world. Lord, we, I pray that we would truly be so thankful for your grace and your mercy on us, your love for us in Christ on the cross, and the love that he displayed in taking our sins upon us upon himself. Thank you that he rose from the dead, defeating death, so we don't have to fear death anymore, but we can hope in Christ as our Savior. And I pray that if anybody doesn't know Christ here today, I pray that you would convict them of their sin, Lord, and drive them to the Savior. I pray that they just, I pray they'd be consumed by it. They can't help but look at the beauty and grace in Christ that run to him. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.